How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where you sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, another weekend, another Saturday, another Q&A day. And as our tradition is on our Q&As, uh, we just open up the floor. And if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, discussion topics, debate topics, uh, you want to talk about something, you want to debate, fight about something, go ahead, ask away, be glad to hear from you. Um, we answer the questions in sequence of order they come in, first come, first serve, so keep that in mind as well. And yeah, so uh, got some things that we're going to be uh, talking about today as well as if we have time or how things go, we're going to be taking a look at the crazy list, <laughs> the crazy list of stuff from uh, the subreddit ask a christian whereas some people come in and they got some really interesting questions sometimes there's some doozies there's some really good ones and sometimes there's some that make you question your sanity so we're gonna dive into that as well Alrighty, so a lot has been going on recently uh, just worldwide in the news and everything but we try to ignore the news as much as we can we try to just stay away from politics stay away from everything else and we try to just focus on what does the bible say about everything what does the word of god say about uh, all else everything that's going on and we try to make sense of it through the word of god not trying to make sense of it through our own debatings and philosophies and ideologies and all of that that's just going to make you go more nuts so we try to rein it all in. And as the title of this video, uh, Preparing for the End Game. Now, we are told in the Word of God about the end. We are told of the, the, the major events and things that are going to be going on and things to watch for, the signs of the times and, and all of this. And people really get focused on that. They really get focused on our book of Revelation, the end of days, the Antichrist, tribulation, and all this stuff, the rapture. And these are all uh, right and proper things to, to look into, according to the Word of God. But what's missed is the preparation. How to ready ourselves for it. Because we read about it, we're so familiar with it, and then when things actually start to actually occur... The majority of Christians lose their ever-loving minds. <laughs> and, they, and they just go nuts. And they start fearing and fretting and panicking and stressing and and, and uh, wondering, what, why is this happening? What do we do when the, when the enemy comes down on them like a sack of bricks? When the pagans uh, uh, start ruling society and they start shutting down churches and christians are losing their faith and people are running from god in en masse and we got now people from the church of satan now doing readings in schools and libraries for kids with witchcraft workshops for kids and this is all a real thing folks fyi it's, it is real and i went over that in detail yesterday check out some of those videos and uh, people are like, well, it's got to be AI generated. It's all AI generated. Okay. You know, I actually lost count how many people really came down on 
uh, on those things and they completely and utterly ignored the point that I was trying to make. It, it's whether or not the photos are AI generated or whatever, that's not the point. You see, what I'm trying to get across, it, it's one thing to hear about it. It's one thing to read about it. It's another thing to actually see imagery that depicts what is going on. You see, we talk about, you know, you know people doing the different readings and stuff and that's what thing but when you actually get get an image to put with it to help you to understand the depth of what is actually going on that's the other thing now the fact that they are doing uh, the uh, Sa satan for kids uh, programs where they're actually developing satanic workshops and readings and all this kind of stuff. They got Satan Con. You got satanic clothing line for kids. And you got all of this stuff going on and the cartoons and the shows and the movies and the games and the books and everything, everything, everything is demons this, demons that, devils this, devils that, Satan, everything. That to the point where you got they got cartoons and shows where you have Lucifer being the best friend of kids and another like a, a some other reality show where this young girl falls in love with the devil and is talking to the, her friends about how she wants to have intimate relationships with the devil and like this is normal. <laughs> and we hear about this, but when you actually see. A depiction whether it's AI generated or not that's not the point the point is look at this because this is what they're actually doing but all people can focus on is whether or not the images are real or if the thing is actually happening or not you wouldn't believe how many professed Christians deny that these events and programs are actually going on I don't know where they've been living they've been living under our rock and we were told that this would happen and years ago um there is a uh, uh something that was that was said from the satanic church and those in witchcraft and all of this uh talking about an event that they were wanting to bring about and that is called the uh dark Pentecost the black Pentecost and this is they said you Christians had your Pentecost where your where your gospel went into all the world we are going to have ours they said we're going to have our Pentecost where it's all going to go throughout the world of witchcraft and Satanism and, and all of this uh, occult will spread across the world and years ago it was enacted and we are seeing the fallout it's in schools it's in your government it's in it's now in hospitals they are bringing in occultists and witches to do uh, uh occultic healings mystic healings in hospitals and everything else and they're bringing it everywhere it's in everywhere it's in everything and all entertainment and all everything it's everywhere you can't get away from it and it's just going to get worse 
And so we could talk about this and we can look at this. We could see this. People say, you talk about it way too much. Well, that's because no one else is talking about it at all. Hardly. And it's hard to find stuff that's actually biblical. Otherwise, you get some like crazy stuff from like the charismatic movement where all they can talk about is the Jezebel serpent spirit and the, the Kundalini spirit and the the uh, the the Python spirit. <laughs> oh, that's stupid nonsense, which isn't even remotely biblical. Uh, all they can talk about is that kind of stuff. And. And then you got Bethel Church in Redding, California, where they're uh, bringing out witches for Jesus. Yes, that's a thing. They have witches for Jesus, wizards for Jesus. Then they got then their uh, Bethel is also creating angel tarot cards, where you can use the tarot cards to contact your angels, uh, uh, guardian angels, and you, and you can use the angel cards to speak to the Holy Spirit. And then they got angel boards, not Ouija boards, but it's an angel board. Instead of contacting demons, you're contacting angels through the angel uh, Ouija board. And you got all kinds of, you got graves soaking. This occultism is permeating everything. And it's going everywhere. And every dog and his brother is now an apostle and a prophet and a prophetess. But listen to them. That's all they're all about money. And yeah, and the Enneagram thing. And it's just, it's, it's just insanity. It's absolute insanity. What, what should we do about it? How can we handle this? As servants of God, what is our responsibility? What should our reaction be to all of this? That this is going on. It is a matter of fact. This is happening. It's not going to go away. It's The world's not going to get better. It's going to get much worse to the point where being a Christian is basically going to be illegal. And it's gonna happen it's gonna happen they're already doing that in canada in the european countries and it's coming into the states and it's crossing the world and wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and plagues and famines and earthquakes in diverse places and persecutions and oppressions and tribulations it's all it's all here we are in the end game the, it, the, the end has already started. We're here. And now we've made it. Here we are. We have arrived. And uh, people are ill-prepared. And we see this because the reason why all of this chaos is having such an effect is because faith has decreased because of the as the bible says as a part of also the end and times of the end game is the great falling away the great falling away and this is falling away from the faith people are walking away from god cursing god falling into apathy against god rebellion and stubbornness towards god falling away from righteousness they're ripping up the bible and cherry picking and being apathetic of scripture, the disregarding the words of God, and uh, there is a famine in the land, but, uh, but not a famine of bread, but a famine of the word of God, as scripture says. It's a famine of the word of God. You know, I have kept an eye on something over the past few years. And I've noticed an interesting development 
some of you may remember back in the early days when we were on Periscope several years ago we were on Periscope and we'd be doing our broadcasts and tons of people come in and all the questions and everything else and debates and it was such a, a, a wonderful time and if you remember something interesting the questions the questions themselves the debate topics themselves i have noticed that the intellectual level of questioning was different and that much of the questions you see the public and people and other christians today the kind of questions they ask today it's strange it's like there is a loss of understanding a loss of knowledge there's many many people that are asking questions of today where like if you go on reddit and all these other places there used to be so many debates of such deeper questions and doctrines of theology now people are asking questions like like is jesus actually god like the level of understanding the level of grasp that the, the grasp of, of of understanding of christianity of this younger generation is so devoid of actual understanding like, like the basics the basics of christianity are non-existent and people don't even understand what they're even asking it's it's so weird but if you go back a few years back now people asking questions the deeper questions of doctrine and theology and and uh, debating on uh, uh, free will and and uh, salvation and the cross and all these things about uh, world religions and now today it's just like it's 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 strange but what makes me wonder is what the next generation is going to be like because when it says in the Bible that when the Lord comes again, will he even find faith in the earth? Will he even find faith in the earth? And it's true. So what should we do? We need to stop hiding. We need to be that much more vocal, that much more blatant and clear and dogmatic. We need to be louder. We need to be louder. We need to be more vocal. We need to publish the word of God that much more. We need to get that much more busy. As the enemy is progressing and that much more determination, we should be more determined in the truth. Because the enemy can only uh, triumph when the saints are silent. And as you see in Second Second Corinthians chapter 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we are in this world, we're in the flesh, we're dealing with the things of the physical world and all the stuff that's going on. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. We do not war after the flesh. And as Jesus says, if my kingdom were, were of this world, then would my servants fight. But then shall you know my kingdom is not of this world. For, for the weapons of our warfare, how we fight back, 
for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now, what would be considered carnality in this context? Because, it, like I talked about yesterday in some of my videos, what's really di uh, distressing is how many Christians get so focused on, and I, I keep saying it because it needs to be said, how Christians get so focused on the po on the politics and the social issues and and about the economic issues and the financial issues and they and they get so wrapped up in all of the the, the tech advancements and the ai generation it's just a stupid computer robot why are you getting so wrapped up over it well because it's gonna know everything you were made in the image of god that's a robot i mean you, do you not think the power of the Almighty God is a little bit more powerful than a stupid robot? I mean, that's all it is. No, it, it's going to unite the world. It's a robot. <laughs> God is God. That thing's made of wires and computer chip boards. That's all it is. All God has to do is go and push a button and the whole thing goes down that's all god has to do all god has to do is knock out the electricity and the thing is dead for their idols their gods are of wood and stone and metal and nothing it's nothing but the ragings of lunatics uh, the the ragings of kings hating on god and hating on god's anointed trying to bring in the end of days through robots that's all it is should we be afraid of it no, no, not at all, not even the slightest. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And if the saints would take the faith seriously and start praying, fasting and praying, studying and memorizing and preaching and teaching and taking the faith seriously like they should in the first place, being zealots of the faith and promoting the faith like they should, I'm telling you, the advances of the prophets of Baal would falter and fall apart. I'm telling you, the very gates of hell would shake. Devils would shake in their boots if we had a handful of saints that took the faith seriously. They didn't care one iota of this world other than the preaching of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, we would see such changes. We would see such revivals. But so many Christians are so wrapped up in their bank accounts, so wrapped up in their jobs and their schedules and their personal acquisitions that we're, we're not really going to see it. We're at a point, we're at a tipping point here. In fact, we've already tipped over. What can we do? Well, like God told Elijah, is to wrap your cloak about yourself and go, for there are 7,000 others not bowed the knee, that we need to go and find the other saints that are taking the faith seriously, and we need to band together. We need to stay in fellowship, encourage one another to stand fast, stand strong, and to... Uh, wait out the storm that that uh, though the storm is raging as as the our lord jesus gave peter uh, the ability to walk on the water in the midst of the storm god gives us strength to stand in the midst of the storm as well to walk amongst the waves of the pagans it doesn't matter that they can create all the ai they want they they created a lion's den that did nothing they created a burning fiery furnace that did nothing they created inquisitions that failed they they rose up empires to fight and that 
fell apart. They were, they raised up Nero and, and the Colosseum, and that's all gone. And they raised up all, all of the uh, oppositions, all the enemies, all the all of their wicked imaginations, and it's all fallen apart, and we're still here. So, worry not. Fear not. Doubt not. Care not. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request known unto God, and praise and worship and rejoice in tribulations, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Yeah, you, they rose up. They they rose up Egypt, and that fell apart. They brought up Janes and Jambres. They failed. Simon the sorcerer failed. Witch of Endart failed. Balaam the sorcerer failed. The serpent in the Garden of Eden lost. The grave is empty. The persecutions of the wicked fall apart. The pit they dig, they fall therein. The stone they roll, roll back upon them. The net they cast, they are snared therein. There's, their bows of steel are shattered over their own arms. Why, why, why do so many Christians panic, fear, and fret, and worry, and care, and 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 lose sleep and lose faith over the advances of the wicked you know sure these things are crazy and when these things do happen to us it's it's heavy and it, it's it's troublesome but isn't that how it's always been we've we've just we've just gotten lazy We've just lost focus. But we've gotten so comfortable in our freedoms and liberties, we have forgotten how to deal with persecution. We have forgotten how to handle the opposition. We, we pray... And we, we sing and we praise and we worship. But we've forgotten how to deal with hardship. And yes, as Dana says, we've forgotten how to put on the armor of God. We talk about it, but our armor is sitting over there in the corner that it is our armor. And we praise it that, yes, God has given us armor. But we, we, we for the longest time, we haven't really seen a need or use for it. And we've forgotten how to put it on. We, we, we're holding it and we, we like hold it up against us, but we don't know how to pull the straps. We don't know how to cinch it down tight. It's loose and flopping around and the armor isn't fitting like, like King Saul's armor for David. It was, it was cumbersome and he wasn't used to it and it was uncomfortable. But that's what's happened to the armor of God for us. We talk about the helmet of salvation, but we spend more time doubting our salvation, questioning whether salvation is eternal or not, when the Bible flat out says it is, uh, than we do about, about actually knowing how to fit the helmet down uh, nice and tight. We talk about the breastplate of righteousness and the righteousness of Christ, but we argue and fight and debate about, well, what about our righteousness and personal sanctification? And we're not focusing on the sole righteousness of Christ alone for our atonement and salvation. 
We talk about the sword of the spirit and how it's sharp and it's true, but we don't memorize the thing and we don't study the thing and we don't learn how to be swordsmen of Jesus Christ. We talk about the shield of faith. We talk about faith, but we but we hardly even have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, but we dream and talk about the, the great faith of moving mountains and revivals and all these things. We talk about the great faith of those that used to be, but we don't focus on how to have that faith ourselves. We dream about faith but we don't actually have it. We talk about the belt of truth that wraps about our waist, but we argue about whether or not the word of God is full truth in of itself, and we question the very veracity of the word of God with our doubts and fears and unbelief. We talk about that our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, but that's, that's just the fever dream. Because we all love evangelism as long as someone else is doing it. Because we care more about the fear of man than we do the fear of God. We talk about how souls are going to hell and we're, we shed tears. Oh, people are going to hell, but we do nothing about it. Really. The odd tract gets out there and we might do, you know, say something about Jesus to our neighbor once in a while, but we don't actually go out and let our feet pound the pavement and actually get busy about spreading the gospel. We spend more times worrying about what the stupid White House and Parliament is doing. We care more about what the idiot uh, actors in Hollywood are doing. We care more about the conspiracy theories than we do about hell. We spend more time screaming about the flat earth, round earth, or whatever else, than the fires of hell. We care more about 5G, 4G, and vaccines than we do the fires of hell. We care more about what they're doing in schools than we do about lost souls going to hell. We have gotten our priorities so completely twisted around backwards. This is why the Black Awakening, the Dark Pentecost is taking off. Why we see so many people abandoning anything that is of God. Because what they see is the Christians are so screwed up in so much that that's what the pagans find unbelievable. And they don't want to believe it. That's why the atheists mock, because, well, we don't even hardly practice or believe what we say we believe. Think about it. Now imagine what this world would look like if the saints, if the true born-again saints were to walk and talk and work like they did in the early church. Fasting and praying and memorizing and preaching and teaching and working the, the miracles by the hands of God. Could you imagine what this world would look like right now? Wouldn't look like this. But the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. Not mighty through ourselves. Not mighty through our abilities to string a phrase. Not through our politics and philosophies and technology and, and, and advancements of society. Not through ourselves and our seminaries and our Bible schools and our denominations. Not through our own personal religious uh, orthodoxy and religiosity. Not through that, but it's mighty through God. The God of Scripture. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, let's just look at that again. Casting down means throwing down, throwing away imaginations. Now, why did God use that word? Imaginations. 
Well, that's also bringing in uh, what we also do is playing the stupid psychic game of foretelling the future just to bring upon ourselves that much more worry and stress and fear of what could happen in the future if if something wasn't to go our way we we have enough to worry about what is happening but then we also have to pile on our own imaginations of what could happen well well what if what if the ai takes over everything starts launching drones at our houses and kills us all and takes over and be, and, and becomes the beast of revelation and takes over the white house what if the moon is made of cheese what if asteroids are actually hot dogs? You know, what, what, what if mosquitoes ate watermelons instead of biting? It's a stupid imagination. Stop making stuff up. We have enough troubles. The sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What if the world was flat? Oh, no. Makes no bit of difference. We have a job to do. We have a course to run. We have a message to preach. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God. And it doesn't matter what the shape of dirt is. It doesn't matter what the pagans are doing. It doesn't matter when, matter what the heathen are screaming. It doesn't matter what the godless uh, prophets of Baal are shouting. It doesn't matter how they dance around their altar. It doesn't matter how they cut themselves and scream to the devil. It doesn't matter how they're trying to call down the fire. Their gods are nothing. Their beliefs are nothing. Ours is the only true God of the only true power, and it's a battle for souls. It's a battle of spiritual things, not physical. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So stop trying to bring carnality of things of the physical world, the, th the things of the ways of this world, into the church and into the Bible and into spiritual warfare. You're not going to defeat the enemy by using their game. You're not going to convince the pagans by philosophy. You're not going to convict the sinner by psychology. You're not going to be able to sway the minds of the ignorant, of the unbelievers, by just arguing with them on politics. You're not going to convince someone to be a Christian by showing them the shape of dirt. You're not going to do it. It's the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that fixes everything. And when we start pushing Christ to the back burner, that's when the enemy takes off. That's when the churches fail. That's when the power of God is gone. We abandon God. We have abandoned the faith by making way for everything else is we, we we keep fitting in and fitting in and squashing down squashing down squashing down squashing down squashing down the true focus by everything else that we're fitting into this bookshelf and make it so squashed down that we just don't see what we're supposed to be doing it just gets drowned out we can't see the forest for the trees The fire of tribulation and persecution gets so hot, but instead of putting the fire out, we argue and fight about how hot the fire is. 
instead instead of just putting the fire out by faith and and dealing with it as you're supposed to we argue about what kind of fire what denomination of the fire where the fires come from what color the fire is how hot is the fire how much smoke it's actually putting out what it's actually burning what kind of wood is the fire burning or what kind of other stuff is in there we talk we argue about the embers in it Instead of trying to figure out what kind of devil it is, it's a devil, and this is how we deal with it. We need to get back to the clear gospel of everything so cut and dried and simple. The simple faith, the simple gospel, the simple charter of the simple commands of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Paul didn't turn around and start debating with the girl with the spirit of divination and arguing about what kind of medicines and everything else and where she came from and her troubles and her woes and, and her pronouns and everything else. He just rebuked the thing and moved on. We get so focused on everything else, so worried about everyone else's thinking. Well, well what if, what if it, 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 this? What if you do rebuke and nothing happens? That just shows you have no faith. The fact that you ask that question shows you have absolutely no faith in in, in the first place. You take a look at the kind of questions that people are asking. You can see where they're coming from. You can see they're doubtful, fearing, unbelieving, and there's no faith in it to begin with. That to them, Christianity is just a philosophy. It's a way of life instead of a true believing faith. People wonder why I talk about this kind of stuff so much, about spiritual warfare, about the occultic uh, takeovers and all these things. And some people get really annoyed when I keep bringing stuff up and showing them uh, these things. And I've stopped talking to certain individuals, uh, even some of my friends about these things, because they just... They don't even want to hear it. They don't want to be aware that this is what is going on. All they want is to be a Christian, go to church, read your Bible, sing the hymns, and live in a, in a, a cognitive dissonance utopia. I talked about the Christian's problem, the problem of Christian's cognitive dissonance. Where they have they have this mental state that they protect, and anything that comes in that would contradict them and pop their bubble, they just deny that even exists. And no, it's, it's, it's nothing. And they push it away. You just don't understand. Nope, I have this, and they have to protect this you this ignorant denial utopia. They don't want to believe that their world is upside down. They don't want to be challenged. They don't want to have to, to have to face the, the troubles as the word of God talks about. And in this, that this 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 mental disease of cognitive dissonance that's taking over so much of today's churches, it, it is it is starting to actually wear and crumble and crack. And that these individuals in these states are starting to see what's happening and they're panicking. They're panicking because the world is getting so bad that you kind of can't deny it anymore. When you're getting people of certain ways coming into churches and preaching from pulpits and literally 
blaspheming God from pulpits. And I can't even talk about certain things anymore. It's so bad. They're bringing in the Church of Satan is coming in and doing satanic workshops for kids in schools and libraries. And you can't deny it anymore. And the Christians that have been protecting themselves and shielding themselves are now starting to panic. And they don't know what to do. That's because they haven't been preparing. And when you start telling them about preparing and how to prepare, oh, it's too much work. Oh, it's too much work. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. Oh, that seems too much. That seems too extreme. Oh, you're blowing it out of proportion. Oh, you're just exaggerating. Well, that's not actually happening. And they try, they try in some way to protect themselves in their state of, uh, I guess you'd call it Christian ignorance. What's Christian ignorance? Well, they're a Christian, but they're ignorant about ev about everything that they're supposed to be doing. They're a Christian, but they haven't a clue how to put their hand to the plow and how to how to plow the furrows and not look back that they, they they haven't a clue on how to actually pray they haven't a clue what fasting is they haven't a clue about scriptural usage and memorization in actual true warfare and preparation of of preaching the gospel they haven't a clue how to preach the gospel they haven't a clue how to test the spirits because they've been living in ignorance and they're just biding their time and they're just doing all the religious observances, but none of the homework. They're Christian on Sundays. They're Christian on prayer meetings. No other time. They haven't a clue how, how to examine all things by the word of God. And, and when their reality is challenged, they get angry. That's the other thing I've found is the anger. How many Christians get just wild and angry? When you challenge their their presumptions, you challenge their their assertions. It's wild, it's wild. But look at this says, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience. Look at this in verse 6. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. And having in a readiness to be always ready. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. But are Christians truly ready? You know, I talked with a good friend of mine. She, uh used to be a practicing satanist and a witch she was a member of uh the church of satan for x amount of years she was a powerful worker of black magic and occultism and she got born again saved her and i ha have talked about these kinds of things and the born again christian faith and the power of god and the love of christ and then we get talking about christianity today and how you know i'm not just saying this please understand you, you know where i'm coming from and i mean this in all 
due respect and love, but if I dare say, I think that the vast majority of Christians, if they were to catch a glimpse of the kinds of things that X witches and ex occultists have seen and experienced it, the vast majority of christians would lose their minds wouldn't know how to handle it and and when you when we're when you start to see these kinds of people the prophets of the dark awakening march in the streets and as the Bible says, false prophets working signs and wonders in preparation for the Antichrist, that the that this is where we're going to see an awful lot of professed Christians run for the hills. Fall away from the faith. Question their own salvation. Or even outright deny the faith. Because they'll have no power. They'll pray and, pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and nothing happens. They'll rebuke and do all this stuff and nothing will happen. And they'll question their faith. They won't know how to handle it. Demonic manifestations in their lives or whatever else and they, they don't know how to handle it. But it's so clear and so simple. When you take a look at the word of God and you read scripture, what does it say? You What it says is what it means. You believe this, but that's the problem. Is so many Christians today don't believe this. They don't believe the word of God. They say they do, but they don't actually by how they go about it. They believe it for church. They believe it for, for salvation they believe it for prayer meeting but they don't believe it in actual application of life because they because when a devils appear they throw pills at it when the devils appear they go to the therapist when the pills uh, when the pills and all these things start to wear out and they find that none of this is actually working they say they love god but in works they deny him, being dishonorable, disobedient unto every good work of reprobate. For though we walk in the flesh, it's not just flesh. There's a spiritual world that so many, uh, so many people just don't understand. And I'm not saying that you have to understand devils to understand Christianity. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the war is real, but the war is not carnal. The war is not physical. The war is spiritual. The reason why things are going bad is because there's devils behind it. And how do you deal with this? By the preaching of the cross. By taking the faith seriously, praying like you actually mean it, living like you actually mean it, fasting like you actually mean it, reading and studying and memorizing like you actually mean it, and speaking the scriptures publicly like you actually mean it. How, let me just say it this way. Let's say... You are in a time machine 
and you went all the way back 2,000 years ago and you're a part of the early church and and you you're going in and you're sitting down you're with the apostles and the first uh, the first Christians in the early church in Antioch there and you're seeing how it's going on how would your Christianity play out how would you be different how would you be praying reading and praising and witnessing with the saints in the early church how would that play out now my question is why aren't you doing that here now you see The faith hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. We have. But therein is another issue. I've seen this one too. And, and this one boggles my mind. Is how many Christians acknowledge what that, what I just said. How, 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 how if God doesn't change, faith doesn't change. We change. We're the, we, we have changed. We have fallen away. And, and it's like, it's almost like, they revel in the fact that they have changed and fallen away and they acknowledge it to the degree that it's almost something that they're proud of because they do nothing about it. Oh, we've changed, we've changed, we've fallen away, but they do literally nothing about it to get back. You know what I mean? Like they're almost proud of the fact that they have weakened in the faith and they have changed and that they're doing nothing about it to, to better themselves, to get themselves back to where they should be. This is why the church has so little impact over the world. You see, we acknowledge our weaknesses to a fault because we do nothing about it but we're so proud that we can acknowledge that we have fallen and that we have fallen and we have weakened as a man as the bible says the man looks in a mirror to see his reflection and immediately turns walks away and forgets what he looks like that's what's happened exactly a false humility so so how can we How can we prepare? What can we do? Well, see, acknowledgement of fault is only the first step. And nobody can be perfect. The closest human example was Apostle Paul. He says, says, use me as an example, as I'm an example of Christ. But he, even then, he talked about his flaws and weaknesses. He talked about how he was a wretched sinner, the least of all saints, and how he struggled with sin, all these things. But the example that he left us was, was how to deal with the sins and the tribulations and the trials so that you can keep coming back to where you need to be. But that's where we have 
broken away from. That's that's how we have fallen apart. Is we've forgotten how to do that. We're good at acknowledging the problems, but not how to get back to where we need to be. We keep throwing more pills. We keep throwing uh, more work, more hobbies, more interests, more distractions, more hindrances, more things to occupy the mind so that we just don't even have time for the Lord. We get ourselves so busy that we're so busy that we can hardly be tempted with anything. And that's how we deal with a lot of it. We're too we're too busy, too tired to even be tempted. <laughs> but that that in that therein is another attack of the enemy. Because we're so busy, we don't even have time to pray. We take a look at some of these some of these great mighty men and women of God. Look look just do a study on this. Take down notes and uh, take down this and here's some homework for you. I'd like you to, to go and actually research the amount of time that the great saints prayed for. How long they actually prayed for. Like Hudson Taylor, George Mueller, Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, and Eugenia Price, and all these others. How long they actually prayed for. How long their services were. How long they preached for. Go back in the Bible and you'll see how long that the actual services were they would gather together. Hours and hours. From the Old Testament to the New Testament. Sometimes even whole days. Where, where they would gather together in, in, in the one building and they would preach and study the Bible all night long to the rising of the sun. Someone would fall asleep out the window, fall to their death. Paul would go down, raise them back to life again, and they'd go back and keep studying the scriptures till the morning. And now we can hardly sit for 25 minutes, 30 minutes. If the preacher goes over 30 minutes, oh, it's the end of the world. We, and, but we can sit in front of the television for hours and hours and hours. We could talk about everything else going on in the world for hours and hours and hours and hours, but we can't talk about the Bible for, for 30 minutes. And we wonder why the world has gotten so bad. Because we acknowledge these problems. We talk about these problems to a fault. Because we acknowledge it so often, so frequent, but we do nothing about it. We are so content in our apathy. We are so comfortable and content in our apathy. To prepare for the end game, you have to break the mold. You have to do something drastic. Now, you have to take a look at your own life. And you have to take a look at the Christian faith. And I'm being really, really serious with you right now. If you do not do something drastic in your own life to save your faith, I'm telling you right now, 
you will fall away. It's going to get so bad. It is going to get so hard. The challenges and the oppressions are going to get so heavy. You're not going to know what hit you. You're not going to know where your God went. You're not going to know what to do. The faith will be so dry, it'll be as dust in your mouth and bitterness to your belly, but you will abandon it. I'm telling you right now, if you don't do something drastic to save your faith, to save your relationship with Christ, to, to take the faith serious, if you don't do something desperate to get yourself back to where you need to be, you're going to fall away. It's going to get so bad. The pagans are going to outnumber and outpower the churches. What do I mean by outpower? Show me a church that actually has power. Where the people pray and worship and study and to such a degree that their revivals break out and they can bring down the fire that the devils wouldn't come near that place with a 50 mile radius. They wouldn't go near them. That when they pray, the heavens shake. Show me a church like that. Like it used to be. The saints used to pray. And the hand of God used to move. The saints used to pray. And things would happen in society. Revivals would break out. People would get saved. And the pagans would run. They used to be able to pray. They used to be able to work. They used to be able to show the power of God. Where is that now? Where is that? You know, that was actually one of the things. Back when I was young and stupid, before I was saved, I grew up in a Christian home. When I was about five, about five years old, I think, it was my parents got saved and my dad went to Bible school. And I was raised in a Christian home since then. And when I got older, to me, from where I was, what I was seeing with churchianity, with, Christ, with Christianity and all this stuff, what I was seeing was how many Christians would just, it was just going through the motions. And talking about the power of God was always past tense. Like it was more myth and lore. Because there was no nothing observable in the modern time. But people, the only time people point out is anything like Benny Hinn. But everybody knew, knew and knows he's just, Benny Hinn is just a fraud. But where is the power of God? And, and that Christianity was just go to church, read your Bible, sing the hymns, go to church, read your Bible, sing the hymns, pray before you eat, pray before you go to sleep, pray when you get up in the morning. And it's just, it's all motions, observances, rituals, traditions. And it was lacking power. There, there was like a hunger, something, a longing for something more. And it's just, I, I wasn't finding it. No, it's nothing against my dad. My dad is a powerhouse of prayer. Powerhouse of faith. 
but it's that it is the it is more of the uh, many times the people the different places like i will go to the to the christian camps go to the christian camps and they'd bring in special speakers and it's just more observances just don't do this don't do that do this and do this and don't do that and don't do this and wear this don't wear that and it's just it's all it is i grew up as a as a campus kid in bible school and all i'd hear don't do this don't do that do this do that don't do this and then in churches bow your head fold your hands sing the hymns read your bible go to church go to prayer meeting we gotta do this gotta do that can't do this can't do that and that's all that christianity has become for so many but then you'd read the bible and you read about the miracles and the signs and wonders the power of god and revivals and actual tangible faith nowhere you'd look you could you really find it once in a blue moon we have like some kind of miraculous answer to prayer and all the saints would lose their minds like but if you go look at the early church isn't that supposed to be the norm isn't that supposed to be the norm not a blue moon thing and then you'd hear about great revivals and, and, and taken off but it was always past tense And growing up, I, 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 also because I was unsaved and devils were deceiving me and all this uh, blindness, but again, it was aided with the fact of so many Christians round about and other, other churches and, and confer conferences and concerts and camps, Christian camps and all, everything else. I wasn't finding the power of God. There was no evidence of it. Nothing. And then the devils deceived me and drew, drew my attention. I started looking and I saw power elsewhere. And I'm telling you, it is power. It is very powerful. The dark arts are so unbelievably real and powerful. The ways of Jannies and Jambres are so tangible and so dark, darkly fulfilling. Because it gives you everything you desire. Everything you desire. And then now hindsight's 2020. And looking back, you can see how it all happened, how it all worked. The things that I discovered while I was in it. You know, witches go to church. Pagans pose as Christians. Witches posing as Christians. Because they know all the Christian lingo. Go to churches. Attend the services. Sit in the pews. Holding Bibles in their hands all for the purpose of working to destroy the church from within 
to try to sow that much more apathy, hindrances, oppositions, denial, infightings, sowing discord, unrest, uh, to debates, deceits, everything else, just to try to ruin the impact and ruin the church, sowing temptations and troubles, all these things. It, it, they do this. Years ago, we had one and uh, tried to do that in our church. One came in posing as a Christian, was with us for a while, and was only caught when they were trying to, to disperse uh, material. And someone handed it in and said, so this person's do handing this in. We looked it up and it was just straight up occultic paganism. And they're literally trying, trying to get this kind of stuff into other people's minds. And they were trying to ruin our church. Years ago, there was another, another one we saw in another church years ago. This couple, this older couple came in. Uh, out of nowhere we never seen or heard of them before they started coming to this church and within a couple weeks they had sowed enough infighting and troubles in the church that the church wound up having a split and then that couple disappeared this happens and saints aren't aware they're not testing spirits they're not paying attention and they're getting caught up with everything else and they're and they're allowing uh, unrest to rule in churches saints aren't taking the faith seriously not praying and observing and testing and uh, and holding things like they ought this is why we see so many churches fall apart at the seams pastors giving up the past pastorates christians denying the faith falling away or compromising the faith because they don't know how to answer the questions they start compromising their convictions they don't know how to give answers to the simple and difficult questions so they start watering down and compromising their own faith to to placate the peer pressure and it's disheartening especially for someone like me for where i came out of what i came from the things that i've observed and seen and experienced in in the great wickedness that i was in and to get born again saved and to to be taught be taught of the scriptures and to grow in faith and to be placed in ministry like this only to see what the faith has become and when you when you try to reason when you try to wake up so many people and you're trying to get people's attention you know what you're talking about and you you've seen it you see what's going on and they won't listen to you they don't take you seriously they think you're mad they think you're just exaggerating you're just being overly excitable they think you're weird when you get really passionate and zealous about the faith and your preaching and your the passions coming out and they think you're just you're just excitable and they're not getting excited 
when the saints don't get excited about the preaching of the word. You don't know what to say. And, the, and, the, and it's just getting worse. It's getting worse. And it's getting worse. Coupled with the fact that you can't preach conviction. Conviction comes by the hearing of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God brings the conviction. But all you can do is tell them and warn them. But they will not listen. Like it says in the scriptures, God said to the one prophet, though you could play upon a, a, an instrument of ten strings beautifully, and, and they will hear you, they will hear all your words, and they hear your song, but they, but they will not listen to you. Yes, so many Christians are so content with the carnal. They're so content with the shows and the entertainment and the their full belly they're so they're more content with uh, when dealing with their bank accounts and their 401k and their retirement funds and their cottages and their vacations and their hobbies and their interests and their schedule and their job and their car and the kids the cars the cows and the lord says to forsake all follow me and we all say maybe tomorrow would you forsake all follow me Maybe next week. I'm too busy. Do you know what it means to forsake all and follow him? It means to forsake all and follow him. That's what it means. People say, well, are you saying that I should quit my job? No, I'm not saying that. But when I said earlier that you need to do something drastic, this is what I'm kind of building up to. And this has been weighing more and more and more upon me. This understanding of it. What is it in your life that is taking up so much of your time so you cannot spend time with the Lord. Give that up. And right now, I, I, it, I can bet you, you're feeling panic. You're feeling all the excuses all the reasoning excuses coming up in your mind. Well, well, what if, what if this? What if that? Or what I need this? But I need to do this? I, I can't just do that. And all of the excuses, all of the excuses are pouring in right now. And you're feeling a heaviness and a panic and a frustration about this. Uh, uh, you can't just do that. You can't just do that. You know, that's the flesh and devils, right? You know, that's the flesh and the devils trying to stop you trying to pour into your mind every reason and excuse under the sun why you shouldn't do that why you should stay in the status quo of apathy 
Don't rock the boat, Peter. Don't rock the boat. Don't step out of the boat. Stay in safety. Stay where it's sheltered. Stay where it's nice and easy and warm. Stay out of the way. Don't be a hindrance to evil. Don't be in opposition to the enemy. Don't raise the flag, the banner. Don't draw attention to yourself. Stay out of the way. Stay on your seat on the sidelines. Don't go into the battlefield. Do not pick up your sword. Do not draw that sword. Don't you dare draw that sword. Don't be an enemy to the enemy. Don't shake the gates of hell. Don't pray like you mean it. it. It takes way too much time. You have too many things to do. Your schedule's too full. What about this? What about that? What about this? And what about that? The kids, the cars, the cows, the schedule, the job, the bank account, this, that, everything else, your hobbies, your interests. You don't have enough time. You don't have time in the day. You got to get to work. Now you're at work and the work is too busy. Now you're too tired. And now it's the weekend again. Oh, it's all of a sudden the weekend again. Oh, all of a sudden it's the weekend again. And the weeks and the months and the years just roll by and you don't do one single thing for God. And the moment you mention anything about actually seriously fasting and praying, like you actually mean it, all the excuses just come out like a waterfall. The moment you mention actually seriously honest to God forsaking all and following God all the excuses all the excuses but we praise and glorify the stories of those that have of those that have actually sacrificed of their lives for the Lord we praise them, laud them, write books about them, make movies about them. But we wouldn't be caught dead doing it ourselves. Well, that's for someone else to do. Evangelizing, that's someone else's to do. Fasting, well, that's someone else's to do. Giving up all, selling all to give to the Lord, to serve the Lord fully, well, that's someone else to do. And we wonder why the world is so bad. We wonder why a, a Christian apologetics is dying. Why, why the saints that live by faith literally is a nigh non-existent breed of saint. The saints that can fast and pray and work the hand of God is myth and lore legend well we don't see it but what are we going to do about it you you hear these things I, I i'm imploring the saints that are hearing this those that actually are interested in wanting to hear these kinds of things you hear these things and you may agree. You may be nodding your head, shutting amen, typing in agreements. But how far are you willing to go? What are you willing to actually give up? To actually give up so that 
you could have more time to take the faith seriously. To live like you actually mean it. To spend time in the faith like you actually mean it. To fast and pray like the saints are called to. To spend time with the Lord like the saints should. And people even will answer. Well, I'd be willing to do, I could do this, I could do that, I would do this, I would do that. Words are cheap. Words are cheap. Words are cheap. I have heard, I have heard mighty, mighty implorings, mighty pleadings. I have heard mighty stories, mighty words from people about what they would be willing to do, what they would do, and what they, what they have done, but they give up. They don't follow through. It's just words. I have heard prayers of people praying and pouring out their heart, crying in tears, praying for revivals, but then, then they don't follow through. They don't follow through. Praying for lost souls, praying for the loved ones, and then they don't witness. I have seen hundreds of young people teens and others at the camps and the youth groups and the and the uh and the church get-togethers and all this stuff multiple youth groups get together and have big conferences i have seen and heard hundreds of young people promise and they would go forward they'd raise their hand and in tears they'd go forward fall at the altar and they they want to serve the lord in ministry nothing i've seen adults do the same It's one thing to say you love God. It's one thing to say you're a Christian. It's one thing to go through all the motions. It's one thing to put on the show. It's one thing to pray the prayer. It's another thing to actually live it. To actually do it. To actually do the work. You see, the devil couldn't care less what kind of Christian clothing you're wearing. He couldn't care less what kind of Bible you're carrying. The devil couldn't care less. What kind of hymns you're singing, Christian music you're playing in your car. He couldn't care less if you're playing the audio Bible. He couldn't care less if you go to the conferences and the youth groups and the special meetings and the prayer meetings and the services. He couldn't care less if you're playing the piano, if you're a musician or whatever you're doing. He couldn't care less about the preaching from the pulpit. What the devil cares about are those that take it to heart and live it. Because the devil doesn't care about desires. Well, I desire to do it. He doesn't care about the wants. Oh, I want to do it. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't care, care about the emotions. He cares about the sincerity. He cares about the zealousness. He cares about the fervency. He cares about those that take the faith seriously. Those that actually take it to heart and change their lives to live it and carry it out. The devil worries and fears and, and hates those that pick up the banner and start mar marching. The devil cares about those that grab the war horn and start blowing the notes. The devil cares about those that draw the sword and know how to use it. 
The devil cares about those that the saints that start praying and praying and praying and don't faint in prayer and don't give up in prayer, but pray like they actually mean it. It's not a regurgitation of a list, but it's a pouring out of the heart. The devil cares about those that take the faith seriously. When the saints don't take the faith seriously and they don't actually live it and speak it and pray it and mean it and, and allow the word of God and the faith to move them and change them and mold them and to alter your mindsets and perceptions, the devil hates that. He hates that. The devil does not care about you if you don't take the faith seriously. If you're just a weekend warrior... You're not even a threat. The devil doesn't even bat an eye at you. You have no power. Oh, you think you do. You're deluded. If you, you think you do, you have no power. Devils are not scared of part-time Christians. Part-time Christians are some, are some of the easiest targets. Some of the easiest targets. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. Part-time Christians, no power, no faith, no effect, no threat. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. But his kingdom is of another world, and we are called to fight in another way. We've gotten so switched around. We see warring from a physical standpoint. We see fighting from a physical standpoint, from a carnal standpoint. We're trying to fight the fight paganism by uh, by using their own arguments. And we're trying to help the unsaved understand doctrines before they're even saved. But the Bible says they can't even understand the scriptures unless they have the Holy Ghost. Why are you trying to get them to understand uh, like creationism and everything else and arguing all other points and, and, and issues when they don't even understand Jesus Christ in the first place? Why are you trying to bring in revival when you don't even have revival in your own life? Why are you praying for revival when you don't even have revival in your own life? Why are you praying for uh, for your neighbor to get saved when you when you won't even witness to them? Why are you praying for someone to get healed when you won't even go and lay hands on, on the sick and pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord that uh, that the uh, to, that be healed and the faith be increased and the sins be forgiven? Why are you not going and carrying the gospel to the unsaved that you're losing sleep over because you're so that people are going to hell but you're doing nothing about it? Why are you so cared about what's happening to the church when you're not lifting a finger to help? Like the old adage, you're not allowed to complain about something unless you have a solution on how to fix it. And what's the solution how to fix everything? It comes from answering one question. You know, again, let's use our holy time machine. Let's use our sanctified imagination, eh? Let's go back 2,000 years ago. Actually, 2,023 years ago. And 
are sitting on the side of the road and with all other people is a great multitude. Jesus is walking by with his disciples. You're sitting on the edge here and Jesus is walking by with his disciples. And as they're walking by, Jesus turns and looks at you and smiles, keeps walking. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? You see the problem? Much of Christians today would smile back, would wave high, would shout, I love you, Jesus, would, sh would shout and hoot and holler and raise their hands and shout amen and would jump up and down all excited. They get all excited. Jesus looked at me. Jesus smiled. Jesus went by. And that's the problem. That's the problem. Because Christians are only content with getting excited for Jesus. That's the problem. Do you not see that? That's the problem. The problem is not the getting excited, but that's all they do. They get excited about hearing the word of God. They get excited about getting uh, hearing the word of God. They get excited about going to church. They get excited ab about hearing about evangelism. They get excited about hearing the stories of victory of the Lord. But they don't get up and follow and they don't do it themselves. They don't get up and follow Jesus. They don't follow him through the thick and thin. They don't follow him uh, through the valley of the shadow of death. They don't stand with him in the persecutions and, and do the work of an evangelist. They don't do what they're supposed to do. All they are is sideline fans. Fans of Jesus. I'm a Jesus fan. That's not what we're called to do. That's not what we're called to be. Do you not understand that the born-again Christian life is a life of sacrifice and hardship for the purpose of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We're supposed to go and do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. To go into all the world and preach the gospel, to heal the sick, cast out devils, to live the life and to do the work, to sacrifice, to give up. But people these days don't want to do that. They don't want hardship. They don't want to sacrifice. To the point that, that the people have created entirely new 
quasi-Christian models of the prosperity gospel now. Because people want, want com comfort and apathy so much, they've actually created an entirely new line to satiate and justify and validate their apathy called the prosperity gospel. The God just wants you to do nothing. But to eat, drink, and be merry, to be rich and he healthy, wealthy, rich and powerful, have your best life now, and you don't have to do anything for Jesus. He died on the cross, so you can get a new Mercedes. And they've scraped the gospel of anything biblical. And turned Jesus into a genie. And other Christians have completely gutted the gospel of all power and preach the reformed cessationistic gospel where it's all it's just a it's just a knowledge war and there's no power so you don't have to even worry because there's no power it's just all about knowledge now it's all about books and it's all, all about knowledge and there's no power no miracles and you don't have to worry about anything because god doesn't do anything anymore today What am I getting at? We're in the end game. And we've become so drunk with apathy, contentedness. We've taken that passage of scripture. I have learned in all things therewith to be content. We've taken that to heart. <laughs> we've become so contented that we're contented in our apathy. We're contented with our apathy. Contented with, with, our, with our over busy schedule. Contented with five second prayers. So contented that we don't even need to study the Bible. We just have that special Bible app widget that'll give you your verse of the day. And that way, so, you, so you're not actually lying to the preacher if he asks you if you read your Bible this week. <laughs> but when the preacher on Sunday says, who here has a, has a praise item? Who here would like to share with the rest of the church what the Lord has been teaching you this week? And no one raises their hand. Who here has a praise item, a report of the power of God? No hands are raised. Who here would like to share an answered prayer? No one raises their hand. There's no power. It's all ritual and no power. It's all orthodoxy, no power. And this is why so many people get so obsessed with the outward appearance and or like the Orthodox and the Catholic when they have the robes and the candles and the stained glass and they have the or, or, ornation and all the stuff and the decor and it's so gorgeous to look at. They have to, they have, to have so much glitter. They have to have so much tapestry to distract you because they're dead. Because their power is in the outward, not the inward. As Jesus said about the Pharisees, they're beautiful to look at, but they're full of dead bones. And this is the church this, these days. 
is we have so many people that talk a big talk, that walk a big walk, and they do all kinds of stuff outward. It's all outward, it's all outward. And they stay, I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I do this, and I do that, and I don't do this, and I carry this, I dress this, I don't wear that, and I listen to this, I don't listen to that. And they look, it's all beautiful religiosity, but their faith is dead. That the slightest thing that comes down the line to challenge their faith, they crumble. The slightest hardship that comes into their life, they fall apart. The, 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 the slightest temptation that comes into their life to tempt them, they doubt their salvation. Fabergé egg Christians. Where's the power? You know, if we were to take the majority of Christians these days, take them back in time, Take them back in time to the time of Moses. You know, I would like to see what would happen if we were to take some of these Christians today and take them back in time and stand them in front of Janice and Jambres. I wonder what would happen. You know, ask yourself that question. The mighty sorcerers of Pharaoh, the worshippers of the Egyptian gods, the most powerful black magic occultists in all of Egypt, and you are to stand in front of them. How would you feel? What would you do? If you if you were trying to witness the gospel to the governor, and Alimus the sorcerer, for so is his name, he was a powerful, powerful sorcerer, withstood you to your face, full of devils. What would you do? Or, or if you stepped out of the boat onto the dry land, and out comes legion, full of thousands of, de of demons. A necromantic witch sorcerer comes running out of the tombs, full of devils at you. What would you do? Where, is, where would your faith be in that moment? How would you react to that? Or you're trying to witness the gospel, and along comes a girl with the spirit of divination, a witch used by her masters, full of devils, that comes up to you and, and starts, starts to trouble. How would you react to that? You know, it really brings things into perspective when we start thinking that way. For so were those posts I made yesterday. That's what that's all it was. I saw these pictures. And I just because this is what they're doing. This is where the world is. Bringing in pagans and heathens, Satan worshippers, high priests of Satan, priestesses of Satan, 
at the Satan Con, the Satan for Satan for Kids, the Satanic shows and everything else that's going on, the Satanic clothing lines for little babies. Where are the Christians? Where are they? Where's the Christian outrage? Not just outrage. Where are the prayer circles? Where are the fasting warriors? Where the saints who gather together and hold hands and plead the name of God and pray for revival. Pray that these pagans would be driven out. Pray and fast and pray. For some of these come not above a prayer and fasting and they fast and pray together. They work together to change the environment, to change society, to bring revival, to change the churches, to strengthen this. Where are they? Not, I couldn't care less about the placards, the posters and the placards in the street. That does nothing. That's not going to change anything. Prayer moves the hand of God. Fasting in prayer in the name of the Lord God Jesus Christ is what moves things. You're not going to chase away the pagans with placards. You're not going to chase away the pagans with riots in the street. You're not going to change society and change the White House and Parliament by yelling at the buildings about my rights. You're not going to change things. You're not going to bring conviction with memes and gifts and pictures on Instagram and Facebook. Prayer and fasting and fellowship and harmony with the saints to move the hand of God. That's what changes things. We don't see it. And you plead 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 with those around you, but they won't do it. This is where we are. And this is, this is what needs to be done. This is how you prepare for the end game. But no one wants to do it. And it's a blue moon rarity when you come across other Christians, other individuals who truly, sincerely, of a broken heart, want to take the faith seriously. Because they see what's happened. They see what's happening. And they need to do something. And they're not content until they've done all that they can. Elijah gave all that he could. And society didn't even bat an eye. Oh, they shouted that the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is God. When the fire fell and they got rid of the prophets of Baal. But then they all went home. It was like, like when you go, go to one of those Christian conferences. And all the Christians gather together, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And they sing the hymns and they hear the preaching and then they go home. You go to church, the Lord, he is God. And you listen to the preaching and then you go home. Elijah was brokenhearted. He was so depressed, so upset, he just wanted to die. And... The Lord told him to 
Gird himself up. There are 7,000 others that have not bowed the knee. And Elijah went to go find them, to join himself to them. And we never heard of Elijah again. Until the end. But we never heard of any more exploits. Mount Carmel was it. That was all. Where, where did it go? Depression is a great destroyer. Depression is a great destroyer. We didn't hear of any other great exploits of Elijah. He didn't really do much else. We see him handing over the, the, the cloak to Elisha. Bringing down the fire is not a one-time event. It's supposed to be every day. Not bringing down the fire on others, but on yourself. Submitting the flesh with the affections and lust thereof. Taking the faith seriously is a, is a daily thing. Not because you have to, because you have to. Because you know what happens if you don't. To submit the flesh, or the flesh will take over. And I cannot allow that to happen. I have to bring myself, break myself, bring myself to my knees every day in prayer because I know what will happen if I don't. It's not a have to of a mandatory requirement like a law-based thing, but it's a have to of faith because I need to, I have to, because I know what will happen if I don't. What does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? Is sin exceedingly sinful to you? What is, does it bother you? Now, does it bother you when you hear it, hear it in the shows and movies and, and, you know, the person blasphemes Jesus in the show or something? You're like, oh, that, that wasn't good. But then you just sit there and then you just get right back into it. Then they curse again. They shouldn't do that. And then you just go back to it again. You're watching the show. You listen to the music and it's something really bad. And you're like, that's not good. But yeah. And then you keep listening. Oh, they shouldn't do that. That's Christianity. This is what the unbelievers find unbelievable. And you wonder why people don't want, don't want to hear the truth because this is what the truth has become. This is what the great power of God has become. This is... We, we are the descendants of the early church. Now, the thing about it that is hard to accept is this is also prophetic. One more excuse. One more excuse for modern Christians to stay in their apathy is that it's prophetic. Here's one more excuse that I myself have heard people use. It's prophetic. 
Well, we were told that this is what would happen, and well, you know, there's nothing that really can be done because we were told that this would happen. We were told that this would happen, and this is what has happened. And, and so, because that this is prophetic, because this is what we're told would happen, they use that as an excuse to stay in their apathy. You know, I, I, I don't understand. Professed Christians that are content to stay in a form of Christianity that has no power. I don't get that. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It is the most infuriatingly frustrating thing that I ever come across are Christians that are content to stay in a powerless Christianity. They're Christians. They are saved. But that's all. They go to church. Oh, they're faithful to go to church. Oh, they're faithful to tithe. Oh, they're faithful to that. But there's no power. don't understand it I don't understand I honestly this is something that has bothered me for so long is I don't get how you're comfortable with that how you're fine with that you know The mystic life. What I mean by that. This is someone who. Who. Lives it. Day in day out. 24 hours a day. 365 a year. It's. It's on their mind. It's on their heart. Consistently. Constantly. Without break. That the spiritual world is more real to them than the physical. That they have more in common in communication and conversation with the Lord than they have with other people. That it's so real to them. That this physical world is alien. Not the spiritual world. The mystic life, one who actually believes in the reality, uh, in unseen realities, one who believes they can have a relationship with the divine, one who believes they can actually communicate with God, one who actually believes in, in all of these things, believes in full intimate relationship with the living God, one who believes in this stuff more than you could ever imagine. Like, like like the prophets and the apostles, the disciples, like the early church. You know, like, like the great and mighty men and women of God. That. The Moses, the Elijah, the Esther, the Deborah, the Mary, the Martha, the James, the John, the Pauls, the Samuels, Noah, Enoch, 
I want that. I desire that. I have to have that. I, I want that. I, I hold to that. I, I, I can't not break from that because I know what happens if I do. I know my weaknesses. I know what my flesh wants. I know what I'm capable of. I know what this world would do to me. I can't let go of this. And I don't understand the saints that don't desire that. Do you? Do you know what you're saying? When you say you desire that, you say you want that. Do you understand what you are saying and what you are asking? And the next question is, now what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? Are you losing sleep over it? Are you praying in tears? Are, are you wrestling with yourself? And are you, are you fighting the flesh? Are you deliberately making quality time with the Lord? Are you doing what you're supposed to do? Are you taking the faith seriously? Do you know what it means to be a born-again Christian? It means living a life of sacrifice. It means living a life of sacrifice. It means giving up all and following him. It means giving up your luxuries. It means giving up your vanities. It means giving up those things that would be a hindrance and an opposition to your closeness with the Lord. It means surrendering your life in every way to the Lord. It's not adding Jesus to your life. It's not bobblehead Jesus on the car dash. It's not the hashtag blessed snapback hat. It's not the Christian shirt. It's not the bumper stickers. It's not the lanyards. It's not the Christian songs. It's not the concerts. It's not the, 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 uh, the, the retreats and the conferences. It's not any of these things. It's not the stained glass. It's not the robes. It's not, it's not the, the, the religious apparel or the orthodoxy and the traditions. It's a broken heart bowed before God. You spend more time talking with the Lord than you do other people. You spend more time in the scriptures than you do any other book. It's spending more time in the faith than anything else of this life. If you cannot do that, if you do not want that, you cannot call yourself a disciple. Oh, you're a Christian, but you're not a disciple. You're still sitting on the sidelines, a fan of Jesus. You're waving your hand and shouting amen. You're saying how you loved hearing what he had to say, but you're not following him. You'll go to where he's going next and you'll sit on the sidelines, but you're not up there with the disciples. You're not helping to hand out the bread and the fish. You're not helping to organize. You're not helping out. You're not doing. You're not serving the Lord. You're just sitting there in the sidelines. You love hearing the prayers of, of them up there praying, but you're not joining. You're getting moved with the preaching, but you're doing nothing about it. 
You say you love being a Christian, but you're not living it out. You say you love God, but you're denying him by your works. You go to church and shout amen, and then you fill your entertainment with debauchery. Your music and your shows and your lifestyle, your behavior, your language betrays you. The vulgarities and the jokes and the smut coming out of the mouth and the mind betrays your true faith. You say you love God, but it works dishonor him. You say you'd live your life for Jesus, but you don't actually do it. Week after week after week, you promise and promise and promise and promise, but you're nothing but a promise breaker, an oath breaker. When scripture says to pay God that which thou owest of thy vows. You said you believed, you hugged that cross and repentantly the gospel, but you won't, you won't uh, give him a part of your life. Oh, you'll give him Sunday, but that's it. You'll get you'll give him prayer meeting, but that's it. If there's a special service, oh you give him a special little bonus once in a while, but that's it. I thought it was supposed to be every day. I thought we were supposed to gather more and more as you see the day approaching. But it's it's now getting gathering less and less and less. Because we're losing interest. Because the world is getting so bad we're losing heart. There's so many distractions we're giving up. We're getting so busy we don't have time. And we wonder why. We wonder why we're having so much trouble. We were told there'd be wars and rumors of wars and we cry foul when it happens. We were told there'd be pestilences and plagues and famines and now we're wringing the hands and screaming our worries and woes. We were told that these things would happen. We were told that the pagans would rise up. We were told that the kings of the earth would gather themselves together against the Lord and against the Lord's anointed, but we cry foul. We get, we get upset that it's happened even though God says this is what's going to happen. We shout amen when the preacher reads the scriptures, rejoice in tribulation. We shout amen, but then tribulation happens and we shake our fist at God. We give up on prayer because, well, nothing's happening. Not understanding that the enemy can blockade your prayers, but instead of bearing down that much more in prayer, we just give up in prayer. We pray and pray for someone to get saved, and if they don't get saved that week, we stop praying for them. Someone is sick, and we pray and pray for them, but if they don't get better within a day or two, we give up praying. Fabergé egg Christianity. So brittle. So fragile. We have to treat it with kid gloves, lest we offend someone. Karens are taking over the churches. Christians losing heart. Preaching politics and philosophy instead of scripture. Arguing about fake church history and all this stuff instead of just preaching the Bible. Worrying more about their catechisms and their traditions and orthodoxy than they are about souls. This is where we are. This is what the enemy wanted. And the devil's sitting back having a great big old belly laugh. And all and all the Christians doing, they don't even hear him laughing because they're too busy scrolling TikTok. 
worrying more about how they look on social media than they do about how their soul looks get with the with parents freaking out and caring what's what's being injected into their children instead of worrying about what's being injected into the children's minds and hearts care more care more about what's being injected into your bloodstream than what's being injected into your spirit caring more about whether you have to wear a mask or not wear a mask and then caring about what's actually coming out of the mouth what's coming out of the heart caring more and more about everything else everything else but everything else but everything else but how do we prepare for the end game we have to do something drastic we have to do something drastic what can you do to take that drastic step what can you do this is a Q&A because I have a question this time and I'm looking for an answer I've opened up the floor as this is for everyone and my question to you this time is what can you do for God how can you take the faith seriously what can you give up of your life that is so meaningful that it takes so much of your time so much of your attention so much of your day what can you give up for God so you can actually spend time with him like you actually mean it like you're actually a Christian like you're actually a Christian to get back to the roots to be an early church Christian to fast and pray and study and read and worship and praise and preach like they did what can you give up what can you do not the placards not social media not the protests not of carnality i'm talking about weapons of our warfare being spiritual how to arm yourself spiritually to become a spiritual christian not a political christian not a political christian not a protest christian not a modern TikTok christian i'm talking about an early church christian one who can bring down the fire one who will study and praise and pray and worship and start a revival in your life so you can start revivals in others what can you do my question for you is what can you give up what can you get rid of what can you quit of this stupid life this stupid world's distractions stopping you from taking the faith seriously what can you do to take the faith seriously i need an answer what can you do are you going to stand up what are you going to do are you going to take the faith seriously we make every excuse every excuse to not take the faith seriously we'll, we we will risk life and limb to get to a doctor's appointment or to get to your job you'll go through any weather 
You go any distance to get a job. You go any distance for your health. But you won't go any distance for your spirit to go to church. You'll do anything of your job or the doctor of medical or someone else. You will drive any distance for a family member. But you won't drive any distance for a member of the family of Christ. You, you will go, uh, you'll spend all the money in the world to go on vacations, but you won't help a local church. You'll spend hours and hours and hours in front of the television, but you won't spend 30 minutes before God. You will stuff your face with all of the de delicacies of this world, but you won't feed your soul. This is what I'm talking about. If you want revival, you got to flip the tables. If you want revival, you got to take the faith seriously. If you want revival, you need to need to actually take the faith seriously. Like you actually mean it. To be a born-again Christian is to rend the heavens with your prayers and your faith. It, to be a born-again Christian is one that begs the hand of God to move and won't stop begging, won't stop asking, won't stop knocking until God moves. That seeks the face of God that he may be found. One who implores the ears of the living God to help those in need. One who will sacrifice their own lives for those that are in need. One who will give up themselves to help others. One who encouraged the saints and strength and strengthen the saints and bring the lost to Christ. One who actually takes the faith seriously. You will do anything for anything else in this world. Why won't you do it for God? Why? Please understand this is in general, and I'm not pointing anybody out individually, specifically. I'm not targeting anybody in individually. A lot of this is for me. A lot of this. Because apathy is a wicked. Contentedness is a wicked thing. It's insidious. It's insidious. Start slowly. It's a slow leak. Just a slow leak. You don't even notice. You don't even notice. You don't even notice. Until one day you're driving, you're hearing a weird sound, and, and you realize one of your tires is flat. Well, when did that happen? You didn't even notice. Your tires go flat. And your faith goes flat. And then you start to notice. You start looking. And all of a sudden your eyes are open. You're seeing it in other people. How is nobody seeing their tires are flat? And you're trying to tell them. You need to pump up your tires. You need to pump up your tires. And they're like, oh, no, it's fine. Or I'll get to that tomorrow. You can't drive like that. You can't pray like that. You can't preach like that. You can't work like that. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do?
Where do we start? You start today. Right here. Right here. Right now. But Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, for not taking the faith seriously. Forgive me, Lord, for not paying attention. Forgive me, Lord, for ignoring you. Forgive me, Lord, for my excuses. Forgive me, Lord, for taking everything else seriously but you. For just going through the motions. For just nodding my head in approval but saying nothing. For raising my hand but not standing to my feet. For shouting amen but not preaching it in the street. Lord, forgive me for doubting. Forgive me for fearing. Forgive me for caring, for caring and worrying and fretting. Forgive me for being anxious. Forgive me for not trusting you. Lord, as your word says, it is time for thee to work. And Lord, so work in my heart, work in my life. Lord, break me. If we want revival, folks, we need to break ourselves before God. We need to break ourselves. We need to break the mold. We're caught in a rut. And we have to steer hard to get out of it. We have to do something drastic. Enough with dry religion. Enough with contentedness of apathy. Let us pray until we're broken. Let us fall on our faces before the Lord and not get up until we've changed. Let us not be content until revival strikes. Because the only time we can be content is when God is moving. And we're not content unless he is. Let us show the world that there are still 7,000 others that have not bowed the knee to apathy. That will not bow the knee to fear. Being a born-again Christian is one is not just one who knows that there is a God. but understands what a God is. That understands what a God is. Not just a God, the God, the one and only. One who understands what a God is. A true God. An almighty God. And one who walks in his hand will not let go, will not betray him. 
What does it mean to have a God who cares? What does that look like? We'll read in Ezekiel chapter 1 where Ezekiel the prophet is praying and the throne room of God opens to him. Elijah prays and the power of God falls before him. Moses preaches and the power of God is manifested through him. Paul preaches and revivals and healings and workings occur and flow out from him and devils scream and run before him. The preachers of time past preached and it it just went like waves across the people and they fell on their faces in tears and crying and sobbing and begging the mercy of God. The great revival spread and people were were jumping out of their, their carriages and the vehicles and falling in the ditches and begging the mercy of God because the revival was spreading. Where is that? Where is that? Where is that today? Where is the power of God? Who can show me? Who can show me? He will say, well, just go, just go pray. Just go pray. How? Pray how? How do you pray for, for, for the hand of God to move? How do you pray that? How do you pray it? Can someone tell me? What does the word of God say? Does the Lord tell us? It says, do not faint in prayer, but to pray always. From the heart from the mind, from the soul. But we but we have substituted that for prayer books. Now we got this lame, fake nonsense. Instead of praying from the heart, now, now we have substitutions for prayer. It just, it, the cheap, it comes up on Instagram or Facebook, social media or other places. You can buy books now with pre-written prayers. Just, just, here's a prayer for today. Here's a prayer for this problem. Here's a prayer for this, like for some Catholic or something. Go say these Hail Marys or something and then all good. Substitution, like in, the enchantments. We don't pray from the heart. Or instead of actually praying from the heart, just just fall on your face and just start screaming like Fred Flintstone for an hour. Just make some nonsensical noise-making gibberish. That's not prayer. That's baby talk. That's not prayer. That's not of God. That's not of the Spirit of God. That's nonsense. Where's prayer? Or prayer is just a regurgitation of a list. Help me with this. Help me with this. And help me with this. And help me with this. And help me with this. Help this person. Help that person. Help this person. Help that person. In Jesus' name, amen. Where is prayer? What does it mean to pray? What does it mean to pray like you mean it? What does it mean to break your heart? What does it mean to actually worship like you're worshiping 
God. Imagine it. Picture yourself there. Jesus is literally physically standing in front of you. What's your reaction? Go. You're standing on the riverside and the throne room of God opens before you. What's your reaction? Go. Why aren't you doing that now? You're out in the wilderness. You're walking around. And suddenly, there's a burning bush in front of you. And the voice of the living God comes out of it to speak to you. What's your reaction? He says, take off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the ground where thou standest is holy ground. What's your reaction? Go. Why aren't you doing that right now? Think about it. This is the problem. We have cheapened faith. Simply put. We've cheapened faith. It's one thing to hear it. It's one thing. It's a whole nother to see it. That's why, that's why I use a lot of imagery in my preaching. I try to paint pictures. When I'm describing scenes in scripture, I try to paint the picture to help you see what would it look like, what would it smell like, what's going on, and bring inflection, tone, and I liven it up. I bring in life to it because with so many Christians, they can sit in front of preaching and, and teaching and all this stuff and their minds are, they start daydreaming and they're not paying because it's just words. We need life. And if we can picture ourselves standing before God, suddenly something happens. If suddenly the cloud of God was to come down and engulf you and, and the booming voice of the Father comes out of the cloud, what's your reaction going to be? Suddenly the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud comes down before you and the voice of God comes out. What's your reaction? It's this, this reaction you're riding down the road and suddenly this this light just explodes in front of you and before you is the son of god and he calls out your name what's your reaction like saul of tarsus now paul what was his reaction this this sincere reaction is gone and most Christians, gone. This fear of the Lord is gone. This zealousness of heart is gone. This passion of the faith, taking the faith seriously, this zealousness is gone. How do we bring it back? For some, you can't. Because they're so contented 
They are so contented in their apathy. It would take a miracle. But for those of you listening in, what are you going to do? Are you content to stay as you are? Are you content? What are you going to do? This isn't just a book of stories. This isn't just a, a compilation of myth and lore. These are true, real, live accounts. And if you need more evidence, look at the world, look at the news. Look what's going on. Tell me that it's not a spiritual war. What side are you on? Words are cheap. What side are you on? Words are cheap. How can you show? How can you, you prove what side you are on? What side are you on? Because there's three sides. Not two. There's three sides. There's the enemy side. There's the victor's side, God's side. And then there's the sideline. Are you on the enemy's side, God's side, or the sideline? Where are you? The, the apathetics? The apathetics? Or the warriors? You see, like the one short video I shared the other day. Many Christians are content to fight to not lose. Fighting not to lose. Fighting not to lose. Now I've, I've seen this as I've been in uh, playing in different sports and different, uh, different games and things and training in the martial arts as well years and years ago. And you would see individuals where that they would know how how to defend themselves, but when the when the match the the sparring match would start and they would start fighting, the one person keeps backing up. They keep backing up, backing up, backing up, and they're defending, they're defending, they're defending, they're defending, they're defending, they're defending, and, and they try some attacks, but they keep but they keep backing up. They're fighting not to lose. They're not fighting to win. Those that fight to win are aggressive. Drive forward. They don't lean back. They lean forward. And they put their hands to the plow. And they drive forward. And they fight aggressively. There's more offense than there is defense. They know how to defend themselves. But, but, but they're spending more time in the offense. And they're putting their opponent on the defense. To put the opponent on the defense. You see, many Christians are allowing the enemy to go on the offense. Because they're too busy working on defense. They don't know how to go on the offense. Many Christians today are fighting not to lose. That they're, they're, they're holding on to the last scraps of faith 
and and they're doing what they can but they're so dry and their mouth so parched their faith so empty they're just holding on by the last threads and they're fighting not to lose instead of reaching up and grabbing and pulling it back instead of taking that leap of faith into the lord and giving up all serving the lord and driving forward living by faith so many christians are just fighting not to lose what are you what are you doing are you fighting not to lose are you fighting to win now you can say oh i'm fighting to win words are cheap words are cheap prove it how do you prove it it's not try jesus it's not well i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna fast and pray for a day and see if that does anything no it's a change of an entire life from now till death or rapture you're in it to the death it's to the death it's die on this hill or retreat they'll bury you in this on this hill or retreat those are your only two options run or fight what are you going to do? You say, oh, I'm going to fight. Words are cheap. Draw your sword. Draw your sword. See what happens. Pick up your shield. Strap down the breastplate. Clap down the helmet nice and tight. Grab your sword. Watch what happens. Because when you draw your sword, that sword glints a light so bright, it draws the attention of all the devils. It's a beacon. It's like blowing a dog whistle. The moment you draw that sword, you've become a threat. And everything will go wrong. Man, this message is, it sure picks us up. It's sure encouraging. We've had enough. We've had enough meals and meat and sweets and everything else. We need a good slap of reality. We need a good bucket of ice water of reality once in a while. You see, people think that, well, if I draw the sword and live by faith and take the faith seriously, it's all going to go well. We're going to have great victories and all this. And we, we play in our mind all the great events and things that will happen. And then when everything seems to go wrong and rather instead we're getting devils wrecking our lives and everything's going wrong and the kids, the cars, the cows, it's all going wrong and infighting and families and the, you can't study, you can't read, you can't pray, you can't witness. Everything's going wrong. Bad day. Something's wrong with this. Something's wrong with that. Something's wrong, wrong at work and everything's going wrong why because you drew the attention of the enemy what'd you think was gonna happen did you think the devils are just gonna go oh no here comes a christian we better surrender what did you think the enemy was gonna do they're gonna make everything go wrong to try to stop you, try to hinder you, try to distract you, to make you give up, lose your faith, lose your joy, lose your lose your prayer life, to give up, to quit, to stop, to pull out while you can. That's what the enemy wants you to do. They want you to surrender. They want you to wring your hands in the woe is me's. That's what they want. 
They want you to quit the ministry, quit the mission field, quit the pulpit, to give up preaching, to stop. When everything's going wrong, that means something's going very, very right. Because the enemy will leave you all alone. As long as you do nothing. As long as you just sit back, just mind your business, they'll leave you alone. The moment you take the faith seriously, all hell breaks loose. Literally. But we've been coddled into this idea that to live for the Lord is a life of victory and everything goes right and everything's awesome and wonderful and revivals and power and Mount Carmel's. No. You, there will be victories. There will be Mount Carmel's. There will be the partings of the sea. There will be the miracles and the wonders. There will be good events interspersed with great, big, giant, bloody wars. You got to go through valleys of death. To get to the next mountain. And then another valley of death. And a mountain. That's the Christian life. That's what it is. And if you can't accept that. Your faith is going to get shipwrecked. That's how it is. And if you can't accept that. We're deluded. You've been taught wrong. You've been misinformed. Yes, exactly. As Michael said, it's about Spurgeon, Battle of the Great Depression. Yeah, it was severe. I've seen some uh, documentaries about him and uh, uh, read books on him and this kind of stuff that he started. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, nigh suicidal depression. Plus, and later on, he struggled with gout and all kinds of other health problems as well. He was stricken so bad, he spent more time in severe depression than anything else. This is Charles Spurgeon. Apostle Paul struggled with depression, struggled with, with anxiety and fear and everything else, and, and, uh, and battling of his own self. Read Romans 7. Now place yourself there. Now think of the mindset of the guy. Not to mention the PTSD that he suffered from, from his slaughtering of Christians. You think their faces didn't come up in his dreams and he wouldn't remember the horrible, horrible, horrible tortures and slaughterings and blasphemies and things that he did? It's learning how to deal with the hardships. Learning how not to abandon the Lord when things are going tough. It's, it's learning how not to bellyache in the wilderness when your lips are parched and dry. No, it's learning how to trust the Lord in faith when your stomach is grumbling and hungry and waiting for the manna. It's learning to wait on the Lord for until he brings the water from the rock. It's learning to wait on the Lord till he parts the sea. It's learning to wait on the Lord in the battles. This is what it's about. It's learning how to take the faith seriously in the hardships. And the hardships are coming, folks. Great, great hardships. 
it's going to get much worse. And if you're not coming to grips with this and getting yourself ready now, you're going to be destroyed. Your faith is going to abandon you. You're going to give it up. You're going to fall away. You're going to get distracted. And it's going to start by weakening of prayer. Shorter and shorter and shorter until finally, you, oh, I forgot to pray today. I forgot to pray the next day. I forgot to read my Bible. And pretty soon you're just leaving it off. And then you're going on. You're, you're still a Christian. You'll still talk to the Lord once in a while. But you don't even do anything anymore. And pretty soon you stop going to church altogether. And it means nothing to you anymore. That's going to happen to you. 100%. If you don't get yourself ready. You're going to get so, so, so caught up with everything else that's going on. The Lord gets pushed to the back burner. Or right off the stove altogether. God takes a spot on the bookshelf behind the door. A memorial of what once was. Hopes and dreams you once had long forgotten like those dusty trophies you won as a little kid and whether games and soccer or football or whatever games you whatever your sports you were doing as a little kid and you got your award and you were so excited so excited and you had gripping dreams about maybe doing that profession when you're older and then it never happens and all this stuff and you still have that trophy you look at once in a while but it's gathering dust and more dust and more dust and pretty soon you it just gets shoved into the closet and it's in a box that's completely forgotten. And decades later, you're clearing out the, 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 the closet. You pull down the box. Say, oh, yeah, I remember that. And you just throw it away. That's going to be your faith. If you don't take the faith seriously. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to give up? Change. Alter. For real. What are you really going to do? To forsake all and follow him like you mean it. What are you going to do? That's my question. This is my Q&A for you. Now it's my turn. My turn to ask the difficult questions. To make you squirm in the seat. The, the light's on you this time. I want you to show me, tell me, what does it mean to be an early church Christian? I'll wrap that up there. Let's go down through the comments here. Dana says, the train is coming. Be prepared for it. We are built on a firm foundation and shall not be shaken or moved. Amen. We're built on a firm foundation, but many don't see it. Many look at the structure of the bricks and not the foundation rock. It's not about us. 
mean, uh, you can't be a watchman on the wall if you're shaken by the worldly chaos. That's right. That's right. Okay. Going down through the comments here. Uh, Danis says, we're talking about why so many are so content with apathy. And Danis says, because so many are happy staying on milk than progressing to the meat. Right. And milk sours. You get tired of it after a while. You need to move on. That's right. Okay. Going down through the comments. Uh, Michael says, the EM... Ian Bounds' uh, books on prayer are really good. Yes, yes. Uh, if you want, want something really good, and it's not that books of prayer, but books where he talks about the depth of prayer, where he tries to help saints understand what it means to pray. Uh, this is so powerful. Ian Bounds has some great insights on this. I strongly recommend any book from E.M. Bounds where he talks about uh, the, the prayer of the saints and all this. Really great stuff. Um, Michael says, I'm looking for a new church and I've asked the pastor about holiness and most have said, we don't talk about it. Then can you even call that a church? Yeah. Going down through the comments here. Michael says, I'll admit, the thought of putting together sermons or preaching scares me. Mentally, what if I'm unable to preach coherently? Well, the first issue is you're thinking it's your words. The first problem is you're thinking that you prepare the, prepare the sermon. You don't. I don't. You don't. Nobody does. God is the one that puts together the sermon. It's his words. God is rather coherent. It's about scripture. You're describing scripture. It, it, first, you start with the foundation of Christ. If you don't know how to preach about Jesus Christ, then how do you know you're saved? So you look, you start with the basics. You start with the foundation of this. You, you put together, what must I do to be saved? And what does that mean? What does it mean to be saved? And you, and you, talk about what scripture says about that then you talk about what scripture says about something else it's not our words he gives us the words with which to say in the very same hour like this whole broadcast i didn't prepare one thing about this i had a whole different idea where i wanted to go with all this broadcast and it it went this way it's not my words the lord puts on my heart and the mind what to talk about it's all of him you pray about it fast and pray about it and you give yourself over to him and it's his words that come out of your mouth Apostle Paul was not an orator. He called himself feeble of speech. Same with Moses. Terrified to speak. But the Lord gives his words. I will teach thee what thou shalt say. In that same hour, I will, I will put my words in thy mouth and, and uh, teach you what to say. It, the Lord says it multiple times. He will teach you all things, cause you remembrance of everything. You don't have to worry about that. Do it. Put together some messages. Start speaking for the Lord. Start doing broadcasts. Start doing a podcast. Start writing messages. Get busy. 
You have two options. Do it for the Lord or don't. And to not work for the Lord, to not do it, is unthinkable. So get over your fear. Do it. Get over your fear and do it. You got over your fear for all kinds of other things in this life. You got over your fear of all kinds of stuff. You got you got jobs and people get married and they get homes and they they learn that how to uh, uh, work in, in different like styles of construction, take up new hobbies and new interests. You get over your fears of all kinds of things. Get over your fear of swimming. Get over your fear of cycling. Get over your fear of whatever. But Christians just refuse to try to get over their fear of serving the Lord. Just do it. Adana says, I would rather be equipped to fight the battles, be as the righteous men have fallen seven times and stands again, than to be buried by the troubles, lacking the power, forgetting to put on the armor. That's right. Michael says, my old pastor once said, it's not his calling to preach on the wrath of God. Then he's not a pastor. That's Then he's no pastor. He's a public speaker. He's not a pastor. Yep. Yep. I'm going down through the comments here. Michael says, the Holy Spirit does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men of prayer, E.M. Bounds. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And Dana says, being born again does not mean you don't struggle. It means you have the tools and strength from God to face the struggles. That's right. Exactly. Kimberly says, you can look at it this way. No matter what decision you make towards God, you're still not going to live in this world as it is or any changes it makes forever why not go ahead and make the right choice exactly this life's short kimberly says in the first place either way we're going to have hardships and worse in this world and in this time let's cleave to god and his word that's right this world this world is going to fade away the troubles of this world are not even a scratch on the timeline that we're going to be alive it's that we're going to forget it we're going to be living with the lord for all eternity and in this short short blip that we call life i think we can suffer the hardships of it and and give it to the lord michael says so when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell uh, tell tell him this i admit that i deserve death what of it for I know one who suffered and made satisfaction. Martin Luther. That's right. No, I, I, yeah, I know the, the quote. It's true. And that there will be many, many, many things that will come up. The, the, the enemy will stir up people, even close friends, family even, against you to tell you you're, you're taking the faith too seriously and that, that you shouldn't be doing this. You need to do that. You need to think of yourself. You need to think of others. You need to do this. And they'll try to distract you and hinder you. From serving the Lord, the enemy will stir up co-workers and family and friends and relatives and other people and all kinds of other issues. Will start to break down uh, stuff in your home life, work life, social life. Ignore it all. Give it up. If these things aren't going to help you, then walk with the Lord alone. 
If others won't stand with you, you stand alone with the Lord. Do not compromise your convictions to make others more comfortable. Whether they be flesh or spirit. Take the faith seriously. You have no excuses. An excuse is just the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. So there you go. So with that, I guess we'll wrap that up. Um, there was something I wanted to touch on. Uh, someone was asking a question in an email. They sent me an email. about some of the stuff we've been talking about <clears throat> and I find it where it is here it is and I try to understand this question um, it was sent to me by Tiffany um, why do people want want to become like and feel the power of the new age spiritual occultic like witches and stuff why do they want to feel and have these psychic powers in the first place why do they want to have these powers because they want to be gods because they want this because it's real power it's a real power and they want to have what they believe is power of themselves either they uh, they see something that they want to achieve or that they've been told and have come to the idea that they themselves already have a special innate ability innate powers that they want to manifest uh, basically overall that they've been taught uh, either by the enemy or by others that they can become gods and they want to learn how to manifest these powers like uh, the, you said, they say, uh, the witch feels power, new age spiritual feels power, psychic abilities feel power. What is this power itself as well? What is this power? That's literally the, the presence, the feeling of the presence of the manifestation of demonic entities. These are devils uh, that, are, that are coming in and you are feeling the raw power of these spiritual beings working through you and the devils make that make this sensation pleasurable to these individuals and this is why they are they want to get into that and yes it is all from satan's power um and they have another question here i have i have a question if if a person has witchcraft's uh, spiritual stuff inside um inside them can this person pass off this on someone else yes 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 uh, uh, this happens uh where you can curse and cause uh the power uh by spell casting is what it's called you can uh be a curse upon another person uh you can uh bless another person by these powers and the spirits will also go over onto this other person that does happen yes and become a curse is how it works called spell casting where you cast this power upon another person and other people can be a curse to you they're asking questions that a bit broken english i'm trying to understand a bit of what they're saying and this is somewhat what they're asking if person have witchcraft spiritual inside this person can pass to another person 
and turn it to abuse it and violence with demonic spiritual all, all all this belongs to witchcraft yes yes it does um is uh again it's just all demonic delusion de deception people think that they control it they think that it's theirs but it's not it's all lies it's devils manipulating and being a curse upon them keeping these people in deceived delusions the person doesn't does not have power it's the power of the demonic that is holding this person prisoner that's what's going on here and these people are servants of the demonic and are being curses to others around and uh, as uh, dan here says uh, that's why you can sense heaviness around certain people I exactly where a person comes in the room and they're really angry, you can feel the anger of them. If someone is really depressed, you feel a heaviness about them. That that presence there, that presence is spiritual. So there's that which is spiritual of God, and then there's that which is spiritual of the enemy. And we use the word of God to understand what's going on, to discern. We test the spirits to see if they're of God. We test all things by the word of God. And we take the faith seriously. So there you go. So with that, uh, if there's anything else, please go ahead, ask away, or else we'll just wrap that up there. So I, I hope this has been a help to you. I hope this has given you something to think about. And uh, I'm sorry for unloading on you folks, but these are some things I've really been thinking about and wanted to talk about, and it's just some... I, I need to just get it off my chest and uh, I hope uh, that uh, you folks can hear this and you can accept this and I hope that you'll take it to heart and if the shoe fits I hope you wear it and I hope that uh, that this will challenge your faith and I hope that uh, that you'll take this you take it to heart and that you will never be the same again. What does it mean to be a born-again Christian that takes the faith seriously? Stop telling me. Show me. Stop saying it. Do it. No more excuses. No more excuses. To the death. You would rather die than be apathetic ever again. That there is no sec uh, second option. There is no safety net. You burn the bridges. Burn the bridges. There is no going back. You vow yourself to God and you never look back. Serve the Lord in fear and trembling. Let today be the day of salvation. Not salvation from the condemnation, but let today be the day of salvation from yourself. Salvation from yourself. Look at it that way. Lord, save me from myself. And serve the Lord. Amen. All God's people say, Amen. So with that, we're wrapped up there. Thank you so much for joining in, folks. God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.